0: Where I come from, nearly all of the animals talk. Wherever is that, asked Shasta. Narnia, answered the horse. The happy land of Narnia. Narnia of the heathery mountains and the time downs. Narnia of the many rivers, the plashing glens, the mossy caverns and the deep forests ringing with the hammers of the dwarfs. Oh, the sweet air of Narnia. An hour's life there is better than a thousand years in Kalorman.
1: Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we're doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase.
0: And I am Kel.
1: Thank you all for joining us. Today, we are beginning our discussion on The Horse and His Boy. That's right, the third book in the series. General spoiler warning, though, for the entire Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we do go on tangents into other stories that we enjoy. And so we'll give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything uh, that we think you might not want a spoiler for. But today we're discussing The Horse and His Boy, Chapter One, how Shasta set out on his travels.
0: Boy, Chase, book three, we're here. Oh okay, three! three. Wow. That's, it's wild stuff. I, I, if I'm doing some quick math in my head, I believe this is our 33rd podcast. Uh, yeah. So that's a thing. It's wild. Uh, but let me give us a quick summary of the first chapter of this new book. So this story takes place during the golden age of Narnia while the Pevensey's were reigning as kings and queens of the land. So it's kind of like a little weird insert in the middle. In those days, in a place called Kalormen, lived a poor fisherman named Arshish and a boy named Shasta. On days when the fishermen had good sales, he would come home in an okay mood, but on bad days he'd find fault with Shasta and even beat him. Shasta had no interest in the South, All the men there were like his father, but he was very interested in the north where no one talked about and he wasn't allowed to venture. Shasta always got the feeling there was some delightful secret there being hidden from him. And one day a rider on a strong horse dressed in armor and weapons rode up from the south. He had features like someone from Kalorman, but his beard was dyed crimson and he wore gold and scented oil that made Shasta think that he must be a Tarkin or a great lord. The stranger demanded the hospitality of Shasta's father, so they prepared him supper and a place to sleep and leaving Shasta to sleep out in the stable. But Shasta never learned that it was wrong to, you know, eavesdrop and listen through doors. And so he overhears the stranger ask if he could buy him from his father. The fisherman says it would be difficult to part with his own flesh and blood, but the stranger says that it is obvious that the boy is not his kin, as the people of Kalorman are dark-skinned, and Shasta is much more fair, like the northern barbarians. The fisherman says this is true, and explains how one night he heard a boat coming upon his shore, and a cry, and when he went out, he found a man in a boat who seemed to have just died from the journey, and a small child still living and This is how Shasta came into his care. They say how the fisherman has gotten a good amount of labor from the boy and begin to haggle over how much it would cost to sell him into slavery. It's casual. Shasta wasn't too worried that the fisherman would sell him. His life wasn't great as it is, but he was intrigued by the thought of his heritage. His mind wandered about where he might have come from and where his journey might lead next, and he looked into the stranger's horse, his eyes, and wondered out loud whether it might know. The horse to Shasta's surprise responded. Shasta was confused, but the horse said that it came from a place where nearly all lands could talk. From Narnia. Dun, dun, dun. The horse tells Shasta of Narnia and how he was kidnapped as a foal, and that the Tarkin who owns him was a bad man who he should not want to be a slave to. Shasta takes his word for it, decides to run away, and the horse decides to go with him. The horse asks if he can ride, and discovers that he's only ridden a donkey, so the answer is no. He has not learned how to ride, and he will have to teach him to ride properly. They decide to go north. Shasta sneaks to get the horse's saddle and bridle, and the horse explains how to attach everything and prepare for their journey, but... He lets him know that he will not be the one in control. They set out, leaving false tracks south for the Tarkin to find, and begin their true journey north. Shasta asks the horse's name, and when he, you know, gives a bunch of horse sounds and he can't pronounce, he asks him to call him Bree. The two ride on for Narnia and the true north on
1: to Narnia. Mm, the North remembers. Uh, Kel, the theme of this chapter is discovery, and I just like to start by saying. I really like the way this book it's written more than the previous one so far. It's, it's uh it's skillful. There is so much narrative and exposition in this first chapter. It's more artful, the dialogue is cleaner, the descriptions and setting are woven in more cleanly to the narrative. Like I really enjoyed this as a start to this journey. Plus the the chapter actually sets us right off into the actual journey. Like we're not playing games and scene setting like we're in it like we yeah. have started
0: yeah it's uh it's really it's fun um and it's interesting because this is a an inset this was not to my knowledge written directly after um chronicle or the line the witch in the wardrobe but this is a little bit down the line so this is kind of like like lion king one and a half to me uh where it takes place in the time of uh you know peter and edmund and all them but Are not you
1: saying this is a direct to vhs version
0: I'm not not saying that, but I'm kind of saying that. Uh, But it's still a fun, it's a fun book. And like I'm, you know, as we talked about off air, this is, I'm really excited about this one because this is probably the book that off the top of my head, I know the least about. And this is also really interesting uh, because through the other six books of Narnia, you're dealing with humans from earth who are traveling into Narnia and except for in the case of uh of the next book the prince caspian you're always dealing with someone new from earth experiencing narnia and in this one you're dealing with someone from this world who is not aware of narnia still discovering that and so i like this this principle that C.S. Lewis has set up in all the books that even though this is not someone from Earth, it's this idea of discovery, right? As we mentioned in our opening uh, theme, that this is a child who is not aware of Narnia, who is going to get to discover Narnia. And so each book that you read, you get to be reintroduced to Narnia and you get to go into the wonder, which is why I think these books have lasting appeal.
1: Yeah, and and Narnia, even though it is really cool to kind of get this different perspective of someone who is from the same world. Narnia is still the kind of special place to be longed for, like as the journeys end, or at least the direction they're going for this book. So we still get the things that we love about the story. And as we'll talk about a little bit later, there's some weird issues with, with that setting being, set up the way that it is, but it it's a really interesting exploration and world building that C.S. Lewis is doing here. Like, it's really interesting. So um, you,
0: you mentioned world building. Obviously, the predominant amount of this book takes place in a different country in this world. Now, I pronounce this Kalorman. How is that?
1: I pronounce it Kalorman.
0: Okay. So... Do we are we okay? Just agreeing to just pronounce this differently, and like we'll probably. I,
1: I'm cool with that because I'm not gonna remember to pronounce it a different way than I already. That's learned. totally
0: fine, and I bet that I'm going to go back and forth anyway. So we just want to let our listeners know: if you hear us say "calorman," "calorman," calormine, whatever, yeah. it's all the same. We all we mean the same thing. It's C A L O R. Give us
1: thanks for your patience. Yeah, it's gonna happen.
0: But speaking of names that we are not quite sure of, um we come upon a poor fisher named na- fisherman named Arshee
1: and
0: uh, and a boy who calls him father, whose name yeah. is so,
1: Justin. Now on could you please call me a father? So
0: I it's an interesting thing, and this is where I think you get some better writing from C.S. Lewis. Yeah, because is he's a
1: true Truly subtle piece of foreshadowing for something yeah. that we find out in this chapter. Sure, it it's like artful. It's, it's a boy good. who
0: calls him father is not the same as this is his father.
1: Yeah, uh, this is it's it's almost like the intro to this chapter is almost Shakespearean in the like kind of meta narrative setup. Like it, the the narration here. Really lets you know what's happening in a way that is concise and subtle and like cheeky and artful. Like I, I love this chapter.
0: And you also see his characters using a lot more prose, a lot more metaphor, a lot like it's. It's really interesting. We'll get into that as we go. But Clive does waste no time in letting us know that Arshish is a terrible human being oh, who yeah. we should not sympathize with. Not immediately.
1: Yeah, he it, likes. it is one of those things, like, I really liked how quickly the character building happens here. And we do see that Arshish isn't a great dude. But I I thought it was interesting the way that we do see that character, the way we come to that opinion, isn't C.S. Lewis just saying, hey, he's a bad, guy. a bad guy. It's he takes out his work frustrations on Shasta like we do get the sense of his character, but at the same time, it's not this extreme level of evil that like makes it into a like wicked witch or evil stepmother type thing. Yeah. It's, you know, I hate to put it this way. He's, he's abusive in a way that's recognizable and like, it's not this extreme level. It's the evil, evil
0: you know, versus the evil you don't.
1: It's, it's you, you understand inherently, Oh, this is not a great dude. But it's not like some otherworldly evil. It's very it's sure. human.
0: Yeah. It's a, I, I, It's. It's definitely a thing where he doesn't have to spell it out for us that he is a bad guy. Because we know that an, a, a father figure abusing and beating his son is a bad thing, right? Yeah. That's something we inherently know. And so um, it allows us to know, hey, Shasta is not in the best situation. And he wants something different. This is... You know Harry Potter in the cupboard, being like, "Hey, we know that this is not good. He gets mistreated. We don't need to be told. Oh man, like Harry, like like re- like he, like his parents, his, his they were really bad people. His his aunt and uncle is like, no, we see it.
1: And there's no it. there's no weird narrator's aside, and you know this is a really bad thing to do to a boy." Like, yeah. there's none of that, which I think yep. is what what I'm trying to put my finger on here is that, like, this is done in a more literary way than just, like, your children's story narrator. Like, yeah. we are elevated here. Yeah.
0: Uh, this is, it's, it's good. But immediately after this, and, you know, this is something we talked about off pod. Um, he goes into this description of uh, what is to the south. And what is to the north? And he talks about how Shasta is not interested in anything to the south because that's where all the people look like his his own dad or who he presumes to be his dad. Uh, and everyone, like, the north is mysterious and exciting because no one talks about it and no one cares. Uh, but Chase is giving me a south side uh, rep right now. But we do want to mention real quick here uh, that throughout this book's podcast chapters we're going to have to address some really potentially problematic uh you know race relations because the south callermen calormen whatever you want to say uh and the people who live there are very much distinguished as you know middle eastern they're wearing turbans they have darker skin uh they and they are going to be presented as the bad guys to the Narnian white Anglo good guys. Yeah. Um, and so we, we, we're, we just want to address that now that that's something that will come up, especially more later on in this book, um, in presenting different cultures, different religions as evil and the Narnia Anglo version as like correct and, and good.
1: Yeah, it this book is definitely going to have some issues with racial and cultural differences being part of the story. And and we've said throughout the series C.S. Lewis is not perfect. There's flaws to these stories, there's flaws to his writing. It doesn't mean we need to discard the story and write it off like but we do need to acknowledge where things like skin color which is going to be part of this chapter in this book and cultural difference are, are used in unfortunate or even harmful ways. And so we we want to give you that heads up so that you listener will bear with us and, and know that we're going to try our best to walk through this, but also to honor the things that we do still love about this book and, and how it fits into this series. Yeah. But all that said, I do think it's interesting Shasta's distaste for the South isn't based on like their skin color. Luckily, no. if if that was how it started out, it that would be rough. Be more worth saying, oh, this isn't great. But the reason that Shasta dislikes the South is because the men there are like his father, and it's not like a race thing. It's a personality thing, and it's a dress thing. Like they are dressed in the same clothes of poverty they're boring in the same way and it's not great to discount people based on their socioeconomic situation but it is compelling to see the projection that shasta is putting onto all the people in the area the people in the place that reminds him of his father like like that's a whole session. In and of itself, like the, the idea that you take the th- person who treats you badly and then because they treat you that way, you write off everyone you associate with them or the entire area like, like this is like the kid who doesn't have a good relationship with his parents goes off to college and says, I'm never going back to my hometown because I hate the people there. But really what they're saying is I didn't have a good relationship with my family. And it's, it's interesting to see that dynamic play out in this very like relational, like characteristic way. Yeah. Not just like, well, all these people are bad, and shasta is good it's it's not that it's Shasta has had bad experiences, and this place makes him think of those experiences so he wants to escape
0: yeah agreed and uh we we get into this this escapism that he is desiring uh where we we learn that he is uh every time he wants to um you know ask about the north, ask about what is in Uh, the north, he's going to get one of two responses. At best, he is uh, going to get from Arshish, like if he's in a good mood, he's going to get, hey, asking questions is disrespectful and wasteful. So don't do it, which is not a good way to answer questions. And at worst, he's going to beat him more, right? This is what we see from uh, Arshish towards Shasta, about this inquiry into, uh, you know, the north and what is what lands uh, what lays that direction. But in reality, we learn it's because he didn't know anything about it. and He didn't care to know anything about it. It's yeah. this blissful ignorance.
1: Yeah, it's this idea that we don't talk about it because there's no value to curiosity, right? And this is Luke Skywalker looking out over Tatooine. Like this is that that like people telling you it's better to stay where you know to not not have any change to not rock the boat but the idea of the character who feels like they're made for something more looking out and desiring that adventure and that mystery and and mystery rides right on into uh into our onto our land in the form of a stranger a rich dude
0: is this is so for anyone who is a, a Star Wars fan uh, and you heard my our opening summary uh, we see that this man has a crimson beard and he has gold jewelry on his arms and he is distinguished uh, and so they think that he's a Tarkin. Now I need to make sure that people know cuz any Star Wars fan is going to hear Tarkin and assume Oh, grand Moff Tarkin or at least, you know, maybe if you're, you know, deep in the nerd world like I am you assume that but that is not who this is uh, This is T-A-R-K-A-A-N two A's at the end uh, So we assume this is a this is kind of like a a minor lord in Calorman uh, In Calorman, it is not a uh, an imperial governor for the grand uh, the grand empire
1: uh, uh good good clarity. I just
0: wanted to make sure people
1: were aware. Yeah. And I guess I'm not quite nerdy enough to have gone there in my mind. Hey, <laughs> but I someone I has been to Star Wars lately. So it's uh it makes sense. But good note. Yeah, Tarkin is gonna be one of there's gonna be a few words that which I appreciate that C.S. Lewis doesn't stop the story to explain what it is. Question. He just lets you figure out what a Tarkin is along the way. And this Tarkin, or who we assume is a Tarkin and will later be confirmed as a Tarkin, is a rude, rich dude who is really into slave buying. So we yep. get a sense of his character as well real quickly.
0: Yeah, it's a, this is an interesting little, like, next section because uh you know the tarkin comes in and demands hospitality and they kick shasta out uh you know gives him a loaf of bread and says hey take care of yourself and the tarkin and arshish begin to haggle uh over you know slavery uh like they're just like hey how much would you sell that
1: boy for uh not is slavery a good or bad thing it's hey I'm into the slave buying thing. How much? It's yep. uh it's not great. It's, it's not, not a good great. good thing. Anti slavery podcast. Just gonna That's, put that out there.
0: I want to make sure people know. Uh but Shasta has never learned that eavesdropping is bad, uh, somehow. Uh but you know, whatever.
1: Shout out to C.S. Lewis still having to put in that little bit of morality tale into this. I He's gotta want- make
0: sure kids know. Hey eavesdropping Look, is not great but in this we,
1: situation you know that listening through the door and eavesdropping is bad but shasta had never learned shasta it. didn't so know give him a break
0: yeah so if he doesn't know is it really bad uh but um in this situation it pays off because uh in the midst we, we discover a few things uh in the midst of this haggling uh for slave conversation one we find out that the i don't know if this is a a Kalorman uh like characteristic. Uh, but the like the Tarkin and Arshish are both very image-based. They're both metaphorical, they use a lot of poetry, they quote yeah. uh philosophers, like it's a really interesting thing. Like they both trade like metaphorical sayings in their haggling process.
1: Yeah, it's it's super cool. It it I think it's part of Kellerman culture just based on this conversation Mm -hmm. just because they both do it and are so ready with it but for for some context so the tarkin asks if he can buy uh buy shasta off of the fisherman and so the uh the fisherman says or she says has not one of the poets said natural affection is stronger than soup and offspring more precious than (laughs) car Carboncles? I don't know what that means. But, and that's him basically saying, well, it'd be tough to part with someone who's my own flesh and blood. But then the the Tarkin replies, well, another poet has likewise said, he who attempts to deceive the judicious is already bearing his own back for the scourge. And he points out, well, you're clearly lying to me because this kid clearly isn't your son because he doesn't look like you. Yes, this see- is... Yeah, it's a cool conversation. It's like like weird. It's
0: different. They use a lot of poetry, uh, but as you just referenced, we learn another thing in this conversation. And as we mentioned earlier, there's going to be some like things that come from this uh, that we just want to mention now that we will discuss at a later point. That the the Tarkin points out, this is clearly not your son because your skin is dark like mine, and the boy's skin is fair and white like the accursed but beautiful barbarians who inhabit the remote north. So, like, we we learn that Shasta is white and...
1: Or at least Arshish lighter is, skinned.
0: At least lighter skinned, and Arshish is not. And presumably, the Kalormans as a whole are probably more like Arshish and the Tarkin, uh, who have darker skin.
1: Yeah, which we we do... As we mentioned up top, like, we do need to point out there is a problem with identifying the fair and white as the beautiful and the implication being that the darker is not. That's mm-hmm. called colorism. Not great.
0: Not great. Very problematic.
1: Uh, yes.
0: Uh, but it's a, we we learn this and the important thing, and we're going to get into this more in a little bit when we actually hear the story. But we learn that Shasta's not Arshish's son. This was the subtle foreshadowing that we referenced earlier, but this is a very important revelation to us uh, that we're going to talk about here more in a sec. But also, this is this introduces maybe one of my favorite running gags throughout the like this book. Uh, is anytime they mention the tisrock now the tisrock is their their king, their overlord, you know, whoever it is, they they signed it, you know, have some sort of deific uh understanding of him, uh and like some divine characteristics associated with him. But every time tisrock is mentioned, they t- Johnson. Tiz t- t- <laughs> Johnson. No. Uh, anytime the word tisrock is mentioned, Even in a description of the tisrock from the narrator You always follow it by a parenthesis: may he live forever Uh, that's and you you'll stop your sentence And say like oh, yeah, I was talking about the tisrock may he live forever and like continue on and they will Do this throughout the book which like I just think is fun
1: Yeah, Well, what is dead may never die
0: You know, uh, that's true but I just uh they will continue this. Ed, you'll also see some important distinguishments here later from the horse to be named later. Uh as uh you know we we figure out why this actually is, but I just think that's fun. Um and as you know, the uh as Arshish is telling this story of you know, there was this man. Uh, from somewhere rowing in a boat with this small child and the man dies and he hears this child screaming and he goes in because he's a good righteous man and saves the baby because he's compassionate and you know being moved uh, in his soul to go save this child um, like it's it's this whole story so that's we get this idea of where Shasta came from and I love the Tarkin's response Uh, because he goes, it's enough to know that you took the child. That's all I needed to know. Uh, and he goes, like, tell me at once what price you would put on him for, I am wearied with your loquacity. Uh, I love this line. I love this phrase. I am wearied with your loquacity uh, and I intend to use it in my daily life. And I hope that it does not get used against me because I probably have a tendency to be a bit too loquacious.
1: It's uh it's it is solid. And I mean I love that this is the way we learn about Shasta's backstory. I'll talk more in my further up and further in about how how this kind of builds the expectation of who and what Shasta is. But yeah. it's such a good use of flashback and like a good way to like give us this backstory without like just making it an authors aside like and so you know reader like this and this and this happened and that's how he arrived here but like this is it's so natural it's so built in and and it does come with all of the idiosyncrasies of like we do get the sense that our sheesh is kind of a bs artist and oh salesman, yeah and this tarkin is just like kind of short-tempered and not having it yeah I mean, his horse will confirm that he is short-tempered and not having it.
0: Yeah. This is much better writing from c s s He's showing, not telling, right? Like, he is – this is – if you were living daily life, this is how these things would come into being. This is much less, like – he's not giving you exposition. They're just giving you the backstory. He's giving you exposition in a way that, like, makes sense. He's explaining the, the rules of engagement without having to just lay out, hey, these are the rules of engagement. Uh, but they quickly move on to haggling price, 15, 70, somewhere in between. And this is when Shasta feels it's his time to you know abort mission because they, he knows they're going to haggle for a while. It's going to be somewhere in the middle. Doesn't matter.
1: Which, uh, it's a bummer. It's such a bummer that it doesn't matter like Shasta yeah. is basically like well it doesn't really matter if he sells me like I don't like it that much here maybe this guy will be chill but the stuff they said about my heritage the stuff about my background yeah. well that's important it's it is so sad that really he would sad. not care or not be sad to leave his current situation like this guy who he called yeah. Yeah. is a now haggling to sell him for at the most 70 bucks. And he's just like, well, it is what it is.
0: Yeah. It's and
1: that is so like actually sad when you stop to think about it.
0: And it and it continues in this vein of sadness because you see his hope in this situation. And it comes across in two different ways. One, he starts talking about how, you know what, maybe slavery is actually preferable to my current situation and that's that's the point where he's at where he's like hey you know i'm basically a slave already to you know this guy who i thought was my father um so you know how much worse could it be the answer is significantly but he doesn't know that he's just you know operating from his experiences and so he's like oh you know maybe it's uh maybe it's not that bad maybe you know He'll he'll think of me as a son, you know, maybe that's that. But also his hope comes into play in a second way where he's now got this revelation that he is not the son of Arshish. He might be anyone. Yeah. He might be the son of a Tarkin himself, maybe the son of Tizrak, may he live forever. Or maybe even the son of a god. Like he's his hope is allowing him to go into these crazy fantastical realms.
1: Yeah. Which that is going to be one of the underlying themes of this book i mean it's kind of like the story of Jon snow in in the game of thrones series like who is the heritage what is the which i mean that spoiler alert will come later in in further up and further in but like this is one of the underlying like themes of this book is Shasta trying to figure out who he is because this story at its core is a story of self-discovery. Yes. It's a story of escape. Yes. It's a story of adventure. Yes. We are getting from the quote unquote bad place to the quote unquote good place. But at the end of the day, the real journey that's happening here is Shasta's journey of self-discovery. And that all starts with this moment of discovery that he is not who he thought he was. Which is a classic fantasy trope
0: yeah and i i again we have to give cs lewis some applause in this first chapter here because as you just mentioned this is going to be a story of self-discovery and so much of this discovery is going to like revolve around this idea of him craving sonship craving to be someone's son craving this family uh and you could just read the first chapter And know that this is going to be significant because it's mentioned several times that the man he called father, this is not my son. Like maybe I'm the son of this person. And even he gets to the point where he's talking about being enslaved to the Tarkin and going, you know what? Perhaps I'll save his life in a battle and he'll set me free and he'll adopt me as his son and he'll give me a place in the palace and a chariot and a suit of armor. He craves this adoption as a son. And, you know, going to C.S. Lewis's like metaphors to Christian theology, this is huge. Like this is the fact that we have been made sons and daughters of God, that we've been made inheritors, that we are not servants or slaves, but instead we are part of the family. We are children. Uh, and this is going to be wrapped so much in Shasta's identity. And you don't even need to know where or who it is yet. You just know that this is important. And I love that. I think that's really, really cool.
1: Yeah, yeah that even, I mean, even to step outside of the Christian theology part of it, which I think is a super beautiful note there, like into like classic cyber, psychotherapy, the desire to be a son or to like have the parent child relationship be something that is intact and clean. And what you want it to be is at least in like Freudian theory, like the, like where a lot of psychotherapy stems from is kind of the core of a lot of like the brokenness and problems that develop in our lives. And so that's like one of those core questions of who am I, where do I come from are are those starting places for being able to become the person that you want to be. And, uh, and as he has those conversations with himself out loud, that is how we very naturally get into the discovery of another thing
0: that I wish the horse can talk. I wish you could talk old fellow. Oh, but I can. Q theme oh, Q opening theme song to Horse Meets Boy, which is a spin-off of Boy Meets World. Uh, I would
1: absolutely take a like sitcom version.
0: Like this is this is what I was this is what I came here for. Uh, this is this is hilarious. I love this. Uh I I picture this being like the the like the opening credit seed right before The like the themes music kicks in. It's just fun, Uh, and so Shasta is obviously shocked uh, because he's never heard a horse talk. Because he's not from Narnia,
1: he clearly hasn't watched BoJack Horseman.
0: Clearly, clearly, Uh, Netflix is uh, a little spotty in in Kalorman. I think they have different, uh, you know, uh, privacy links and things like that. But
1: agreements, yeah, can't get community up there either.
0: Can't you can't, Uh, but. Uh, He goes, however, did you learn to talk? And the horse is like, hush, shut your mouth. Like, and he goes, nearly all of, like where I'm from, nearly all of the animals talk. And they're like, where's that? He goes, Narnia. And it's this like, like, this is the discovery. Yeah, I was like, this is, he's doing this so that like, the score can build in the background and you hear the like glory of like Narnia is different, right? This is a, the moment in the previous book when they say the word Aslan and you're like, Whoa, there's this warm feeling, right? This is, I think meant to invoke the same imagery of Narnia carrying this weight of like, this is a beautiful thing, a, different thing, a wonderful thing. And, you know, he gives this description of uh, how awesome Narnia is and says an hour's life there is better than a thousand years in Kalorman. Uh, And, you know, it's like a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. That is a biblical quote about heaven and God's kingdom. Uh, And, you know, so a day in in Narnia is better than a thousand elsewhere, especially Kalorman getting some dunks in on, on that, on the, the land of the South.
1: Which, I mean, what C.S. Lewis is trying to do here, we assume, is set up. Narnia is the illusion for heaven, and so therefore the south, Calamon, is the wilderness. It's kind of like the... I think what he's trying to do here is do a narrative for like Shasta as wandering Israelite trying to get to the promised land, I think. Like, it's kind of the picture that's happening. What comes out of that when you put that into 50th century English categories and start to bring skin color and cultural critique into it becomes something that is a little bit more weird. But, like, we... We know that Narnia is the hopeful place in these stories, and the place that you want to get to. And that's why, it, and it's interesting that as we meet this other character, we realize that Shasta is not the only main character of this story. He's not the only one who has a backstory and a hope and a a journey to go on. The horse was also separated from his family as a child. He was kidnapped and. He wants to get back to the place that he knows is his true home, and so both of their journeys kind of converge here. It's not just well, Shasta is the main character, and so this horse is a tool to get him there it's this horse has a backstory and a and hopes and longings and fears as well as shasta, and he's going to be kind of a mentor figure to Shasta as they right away into freedom
0: yeah absolutely and i I think you're gonna see uh it's it's really fun i'm i'm excited for their adventure in there and you know the things that come from this but uh we learn a little bit about you know his his past and you know cs lewis gets to give a little piece of wisdom and advice to the kids here uh because you know josh is like hey how'd you get uh how'd you get how'd you get here he goes kidnapped because i didn't listen to my mother and i wandered too far away from home so that's a word of Um, wise to the youngins
1: now c.s lewis cares about kidnapping
0: now you care (laughs) all of a sudden uh yeah the
1: very last chapter of the previous book is still glorifying a kidnapper but we're gonna act like it's a problem now
0: yeah it's you know whatever but he then proceeds to actually talk about the tarkin he talks about what he's actually like and he gives warning to shasta being like hey the tarkin is actually very bad he is not bad enough for me because i'm a war horse but you're not and he would be bad enough to make you crave death so apparently pretty bad
1: which i mean shasta is very quick to get the message and then be like well then i better run away you want to go away too? Cool. Yeah. Let's go.
0: It's a it's a good moment because uh you see like the you see that clearly the horse because again he has no name as of right now yeah. is very intelligent. He gets it. He knows he knows what he's about and he's, you know, doing some good stuff here because he he's like, "Hey, let's run away." And then he's about to like come up with this great plan to you know not just uh, run away but he's gonna do how to run away. We're gonna go north and you're gonna be my rider because uh, obviously like a horse without a rider raises suspicion, but you know a horse with a rider is like oh yeah that's this makes sense
1: yeah he's very strategic, almost as strategic as the way that Kel just seamlessly walked across his apartment into a different room.
0: You know what? <laughs> I,
1: I <laughs> was trying. I briefly heard Courtney's voice in the background. Uh, Kel just casually, in the middle of his sentence, got up and traveled across the land into a different part of his house.
0: See, I was trying to, you know, keep the illusion real. <laughs>
1: I mean, even if no one noticed it, I just think it should be acknowledged. It was even impressive. if it was soft. even if
0: no one notices, Chase is going to point it out so that oh yeah it,
1: for it, sure.
0: So there we go. We're here. Uh, it's been it was acknowledged. A fun ride. Courtney had a meeting, so I needed to evacuate the office, but I had to yeah, do yeah. so very stealthily. But now it doesn't even matter that I did it stealthily. <laughs> I mean, uh, I
1: think it's more fun if if it's if we you bring acknowledge it. Uh, this is
0: not a professional operation, everyone listening. Hey,
1: look, if you all paid us, we'd care more. But you know what? Get off But we path.
0: We don't get paid, and uh, we're not going to ask for payment because... Yeah,
1: there is no Patreon, and there's not going to be a Patreon.
0: This is because it's chill. Uh, yeah. But as they are... Uh, back to the story. As they are discussing this escape plan and what they're going to do, uh, the the horse goes have you ever ridden and shasta goes well i've ridden a donkey and i love how offended the horse is he's like excuse me uh so no you haven't ridden how dare you compare riding a beautiful like narnian war horse like me to riding a donkey you swine
1: it's I, I actually I have to read this yes. section here because it's really funny. It's written to what retorted the horse with extreme contempt. At least that is what he meant. Actually, it came out as in sort of a nay. Ridden the waha. <laughs> Talking horses always sound more horsey at accent when they're angry. Um, obviously. Obviously, of course, horses have horse accents, you see. Yes. Uh but yeah, it's it's he's so offended that. Uh, He would even compare riding a donkey with riding him, which is, I mean, look, that's something that came up with, uh, I think it was, it was acknowledged when uh, Fledge was written in, uh, yeah, gosh, Fledge, but in Magician's Nephew, like, the asking permission to ride him, like... It's similar to how we see in like Harry Potter, Harry riding the centaur is like a shameful thing for the centaur to be ridden in that way. Like this idea of giving dignity to the animal uh, is it is it's both cool and also funny because like it is a different kind of riding, but also that is not the reason that this horse is offended. It's yeah. like you would you would dare to compare riding that thing to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, I think you get into a really important topic here, which is the difference between like a horse and a sentient Narnian horse, right? Yeah. Like this this creature is not just like some beast of burden, it yeah. is a He's made in sentient- the image of Aslan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know? He might be Aslan breathed life into these creatures, so, you know, um, got made, some real numa.
1: He made a breath. giant Narian Earth bubble, and they burst forth.
0: They burst forth, but uh, I I really like this little couplet between uh, the the horse still DBD named um, and uh, and Shasta because he goes well. If you can't ride, can you fall? I suppose anyone can fall. And then he goes. I mean, can you fall and get up again without crying, and mount again and fall again, and yet not be afraid of falling? I, I I'll try. Mm. I, this is it, like, I like this because it's like, are they talking about
1: horse riding or are they talking about life? It's that. And that is why we love C.S. Lewis. Like that is one of those lines that makes you stop and be like, mm, yeah, that's good. Deep. That's a good point. It's that like, and It makes me think of game of Thrones. The, uh, can you still be brave if you're afraid? Less that's silly. the only can
0: be, yeah. be brave it's a it's a really good line yeah i i just i i think that was really fun um and i think it's a really important line of of dialogue to say like hey like there you're gonna fall that's a reality can you get back up and that's so important to be like hey you're going to fail this is an important lesson for the kids listening to this story and like reading this story uh, or hearing this story you know, from their parents or whatever, to hear like, hey, like, you're going to fail. That's yeah. what happens in life. But can you get back up and keep getting back up every time you fail and get back stronger and not be afraid of failure, but saying, hey, that's part of things, but I'm going to move past it. That's a really important lesson in life and in horse riding.
1: Yeah, definitely in both of those things. It makes me think, I have a quote up on my wall over here uh, from Mother Teresa uh God has not called me to be successful he has called me to be faithful and mm. that idea that it's it's not about how good you necessarily do it's about whether or not you keep on going in the right direction yeah, yeah that is that is what the journey is about like it's about the posture that you have as you're trying to get there as much yeah. as whether or not you get get there on the timeline or in the way that you thought you would
0: no. Yeah, absolutely. And so the horse recognizes this hesitancy and this timidity and, and of poor little beast. I forget you're only a foal, which I think is, is sweet. Uh, where he's like, this is obviously like the horse is the one in charge here. And like, he is the one with experience. He's the one, uh, with age and maturity. Uh, and I like that he refers to him in horse terms. I was like, you're just a foal. Like <laughs> it's, you're, you're just a baby horse, man.
1: Horse speak for, oh, honey.
0: Oh, sweetie, bless your heart. Um, but then he, you know, gives his reasoning why they're going to go north because he's like Tarkin is going north, so we should also go north to Tashban itself, uh, the court of the Tizrock. And Shasta goes, "Should you say, may he live forever?" <laughs> like, and I like this because it it comes with some implications here. Yeah, but we'll address those in a sec. But you know, the horse goes, "I'm a free Narnian." and why should i talk slaves talk and fools talk i don't want him to live forever and i know that he's not going to live forever whether i want him to or not and i can see that you're from the free north too no more of this southern jargon between us now the cool part of this statement is him saying like hey like this that's not what i like believe and even if i wanted that i know that it's not true like he is a human like anyone else, he's not going to live forever. Like, why would I declare this this thing that is not true? Um, the problematic parts come from, like, making this distinction of, like, North freedom being good. And, like, the Southern parts are all associated with, like, fools and slaves and, like, people who are less refined
1: and and to take it out of the weird racial part of it and to put it into another fantasy story this is the same dynamic of and I keep talking about game of thrones because I'm reading it right now uh, or listening to it but like the the north or the true north in game of thrones on the other side of the wall uh the free folk and the like weird courtesies and politics of the southern lords and the seven kingdoms like the idea that like it is better to be free and to be your own person than to have to submit and to kneel to a king like is a big theme in that story or even like thinking about like there's uh, a part where like in early in Game of Thrones, where there's a bunch of different kings because everyone wants to be king, and that is why it is a Game of Thrones. Um, but like, there's a part where Catelyn Stark won't call uh, Renly, who is one of the like competing kings, your grace, because her son is king in the north. And so there's that like weird, like, well, I'm not going to extend you that courtesy because it's not true of me because you're not my king. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to call you your grace. I know this is a very nerdy tangent for me, but also it's, uh, that's what we do think of.
0: I talked about uh, Grand Moff Tarkin earlier. I think you're allowed to uh, go on a game of Thrones (laughs) tangent.
1: Yeah. I've I've gone on a lot of them on this recording.
0: It happens. Uh, but they decide to go North, And Shasta's pumped because he's longed to go north towards Narnia all his life. And that's because as Shasta or as uh, the horse points out to Shasta, it's because he's got northern blood in him, uh, obviously.
1: Uh, Cries out to deep. Do what? The deep cries
0: out. The deep cries out. Uh, And so they sneak back in and uh, Shasta goes in to get all of the, you know, riding materials and things like that before they set out on their journey. And it's a little, like, quick little lie, but, you know, generally, CSS Lewis is, like, one-off lines. Uh, I, like, they they just, like, seem weird. But this one, I, I thought was kind of sweet. And he, like, you know, goes and, you know, talks to the little donkey that's there. And he pities the donkey. He's like, hey, I'm sorry that we can't take you. Uh, because he knows how bad the treatment is there. He's like, hey, I wish we could take you. And he pities him. So I just thought that was a sweet little aside, and it gives some good character for
1: Shasta. Yeah, that's it is sweet, and it's uh, yeah, it's it's funny that he takes that time because it shows that he relates to the other beasts of burden mm. that are owned by his quote unquote father. Like, yeah, it it really does show where both Shasta's heart that he is in uh, in filmmaking terms, he's the kind of character who would save the cat. Um, Basically, the idea is you sprinkle in these little good acts to make you fond of a character so that you root for them later on. Um, in but, the bigger moments, yeah. Yeah, it shows us his character and it also shows us how he relates to this whole place. Like, he was not surprised when the Tarkin got there that he had to sleep in the stable. And yeah. This has been his life. Like, that. Donkey is probably one of his closest friends, which is a bummer.
0: It is a bummer, he doesn't even talk. It's not Eddie Murphy uh-huh. so it's bum uh but uh they he gets all of the riding materials he uh brings them back to the horse, and the horse tells him what to do. he you know tie this a little tighter, buckle this down, you know strap these things on, blah 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 and then he he gets to this point where he starts talking about the reins uh and he goes, all right, so you're gonna tie the reins here." but basically leave them extremely slack because I'm going to do whatever I want. And you are not to touch these reins. And he's like, well, what are they for? He goes, usually they're for directing me, but I intend to do all the directing on this journey. So you'll keep your hands to yourself. And like, I just, I just love the horse here being like, no, 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 you will not grab the reins. You will not grab my mane. I am in charge. You are a passenger
1: uh gotta hold on with your knees
0: hey dude uh there, he's got like a you know i i wrote my note here and it was like kind of an unintentional like rhyme where he's like don't hold the reins in my mane but squeeze with the knees also take off your spurs uh, <laughs> uh and he's like well i guess you know that's what we'll do uh and he <laughs> then the horse at this point still the horse for a little bit longer He's he's really funny. And you could tell like he is he's not being mean, but he is definitely sassy and a little savage because he goes funny to think of me who's led cavalry charges and won races having a potato sack like you in the saddle.
1: However, off we go. It chuckled not unkindly, which. Yeah. It, to know that it's not... It's in like, loving jest. Yeah, it's not something that he's saying to criticize Shasta so much as he's just acknowledging the humor of his situation. Like, you can tell that he's sassy, but he's also good-hearted. He sassy. does he's recognize cool.
0: that he's just a little full.
1: Yeah, it's it's very much like he is very immediately the Ben Kenobi of of this story. Yeah. And it's... Uh, which is fun. Like Ben Kenobi, like Bob Slucum hit a little bit too. Like, he's like, eh, you're, you're being dumb. Let's, let's get in line. Like yeah. it's uh, it's okay.
0: Yeah. It's uh it's all in good fun, but they set off on their journey. They first go South and then double back on the other side of the river so that they lose their tracks and uh, they make it appear like they're going South, which is a really smart plan. Like we've yeah. mentioned, because that's where, you know, the Tarkin would assume the horse would go, um, and then they get to a point where he's like, "All right, let's gallop." And Shasta's like, oh, "I don't know about that. I don't even know your name." And the horse finally delivers his name. Chase, are you ready for it? Yes. Bree any bree, bree hooey ha. Yes. <laughs> I thought that was pretty solid. Uh, that was a good
1: performance.
0: And Shasta's like, "I'm not going to say that every time because one, I can't, uh, and two, I don't have the time. How about I call you Bree?" And you could tell the horse is like, well, I mean, that's not what I prefer, but if that's what you must do, I guess that's fine. And he goes, <laughs> all right. So, what should I call you? And he goes, I'm called Shasta. And Bree's like, okay, you're gonna make fun of my name? Yeah. What? You've got the weird name.
1: Yeah, it's uh, which I mean, look, Bree is better than Fledge, and Shasta is a unique name. Like, yeah. there's no getting around it. We have no idea how we got to this point, but I'm. I'm a fan of Shasta's name. It's memorable. But, it's memorable
0: yeah. for sure. And so is and so is Brie. That, uh, yeah. Brie doesn't necessarily sound like a war horse to me. It makes but, me know, think of Brie Larson. It makes me think of Brie Larson or like the cheese. Uh or you know, of people, yeah, named you know, Brie, but like you know, whatever. Um but so they make their way and Someone then I've you know, ever
1: known named Brie is a very particular kind of person. I'll just I'll put it there. They're, they they all have the one of our
0: One of our favorite students, uh, her name is Bree. She's one of Cordy's uh, girls, so we love her. I guess it's usually
1: a uh, a nickname for Brienne or Brianna. Or
0: Brianna, yeah. But we end the chapter with Bree basically being like, "All right, it's time to gallop, and so make sure you hold on tight, look straight, keep your head between my ears, uh, don't look at the ground. You think you're going to fall? Grip harder. Are you ready now?" For Narnia and for the North, which is the thing that you would say like in battle, but I like it. Charge! Chase, for Narnia and for the North. Do you have anything else before we head further up and further in?
1: I don't think so.
0: Uh, I'm going to start us off because it's a thing that we've talked about a lot so far. Um, and it's the nature of freedom. This is a uh, a theme throughout this book, but it's particularly noted throughout this chapter. We talk about the idea of freedom of, you know, they you know, technically uh, Shasta is not a slave currently, but he might as well be one. He is treated like you mentioned as, you know, a beast of burden. He sympathizes with the donkey and uh, with the other animals that he's just works. He doesn't get appreciated for it. Uh, and he craves freedom. He craves adventure. He craves the North that where, where the creatures are free that, you know, uh, Bree has now mentioned, uh, Narnia, the free North, and he knows what freedom is like. And he has spent his life, uh, as a, you know, grown horse in servitude and in slavery, uh, you know, being forced into battles, being forced into races, being forced into doing things that he knows that free horses in Narnia don't have to do. Um, and I think, this idea of freedom freedom is really important for us to discuss and to be aware of because I think uh, the world generally tends to define freedom in different ways. Is this freedom to do whatever I want, freedom to have like control over my situation and power over my situation, power and control over others? Is that what freedom is? Uh, or is freedom something else? Is freedom uh, the ability to choose what is good for us, even if choosing what is good and best for us, is you know, loving submission to, you know, a good God. This is what, you know, Christianity would would declare in uh, in Narnia. And, you know, ultimately, this is submission to the rulership of Aslan, because though he is not, uh, he is not, like, he is not bad. He is in charge. He is in control. He is good, but he knows what people need. So even this free horse in Narnia is still under the domain of Aslan, Right, and so it's this idea of having freedom to choose what is actually best for us, uh, and choose what is good, not just freedom to you know do whatever we want or freedom to escape something. It's freedom to to have what is actually good and life giving for us. And I I think this this nature of freedom is going to be an important theme that comes up throughout this book.
1: Yeah, from I further up and further in, I want to touch back on Shasta's backstory and kind of these undertones of fate and expectations of greatness. Because Shasta didn't even know he was adopted until this very moment. Uh, But he always had a sense that he was longing for more and for the North and and whoever had been taking care of Shasta starved within sight of shore to make sure that he lived. Like he's always lived with this longing. His whole backstory sets up this kind of massive weight of expectation for Shasta as a sort of chosen one figure in the story. Like, I know I've re- referenced it a lot, but there's a saying in Game of Thrones that only death can pay for life. And I thought of that as I was reading that story. I'm like, man, this this person, I don't know if it was an old man, if it was a caretaker, if it was... A, I'm pretty sure it was his parent, but I'm I'm not positive. We'll, We'll find that out later in the story. I know that for sure. But either way, like this person died to get Shasta to safety made me think of that because it gives us greater weight of expectation to the importance of his surviving as a baby and up to this point. There's shades of Moses making it through the waters to Pharaoh's daughter, but not knowing his background till later. There's shades of Luke Skywalker being an orphan, raised by an aunt and uncle without knowing his background. Uh, this one is actually a spoiler for Game of Thrones. So, a huge one. Or, sorry if it's if you haven't gotten, I, I apologize, but I think it's relevant. Jon Snow not knowing that he was a Targaryen till he had already started dating his aunt. Um <laughs> <laughs> Again, if you haven't seen the second half of that that uh, show, then I, I'm sorry about that one. Uh, but I did give you fair warning. Um, but yeah, this trope of the nameless baby not knowing who they really are and then turning out to be, spoiler alert for the end of this book, royalty and some more special savior figure, this ends up setting an expectation for who Shasta's Is and who he will become, and I think it's really exciting, compelling to begin a story like this because it really starts these undercurrents of fate that are classic to a fantasy story.
0: Yes, Chase. These listeners have, uh, you know, I don't think they ever learned that it's not, you know, it's not, you know, good to 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 eavesdrop, but we'll forgive it because that's actually the whole point of this podcast is for y'all to listen in while we talk uh but in the meantime while you're listening here's some good information for you that you can find all of our f- our past podcasts and our future podcasts anywhere that you find them audible uh spotify uh you know apple podcasts whatever whatever your preference is go find us and while you're there something helpful for both of us would be for you to Rate and review us five stars. It helps other listeners be able to pause to eavesdrop in and uh, you know find out a little bit more information about their favorite stories and you know who who might be uh, the father to who Uh, and so we uh, we please go like and uh, follow us on those things. Follow us on Instagram at the Chronicles of Podcasts where we post things throughout the week that you can engage with us. Let you know we can let you know when uh, each new podcast is dropping. Uh, But in the meantime hold on with your knees, stare straight between our ears, above our head, make sure you don't fall off. Are you ready? For Narnia! For the North!
1: We will have to talk about some of the like racial and cultural issues in the story, but yeah. so I, I give a disclaimer in my notes, but I don't have anything to like necessarily gripe about in this chapter not yet no this character descriptions it's just character descriptions that make me nervous
0: (laughs) yeah it definitely points to there being some problematic things in the future
1: yeah it's it's coming